Principal Matters Podcast, episode 283. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about how to be a transformative principal with my guest, Jethro Jones. Jethro Jones is the founder of Transformative Principal, which provides leadership development, weekly masterminds, and one-on-one coaching for school leaders across the nation and the world. In 2017, he was recognized as Digital Principal of the Year by the National Association of Secondary School Principal. And Jethro has turned his years of experience and learning into books, an award-winning podcast, and an annual event for leaders just like you. He shares his transformative leadership plans and his secret weapon, a mastermind group built specifically for principals so that leaders like you can help your schools gain their best years ever. He is also the author of a new book called How to Be a Transformative Principal, which he releases in March 2022. Jethro Jones, welcome back to Principal Matters Podcast because you've been on the show before, but I am thrilled to talk to you about your new book. Why don't you fill in the gaps on that intro and tell listeners what's been going on with you? Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say congratulations on episode 283. That's a lot. And I know how hard it is to produce over and over and over again. So kudos to you for for hitting that amazing milestone and looks like it's going to keep going. So that's awesome. Um, So I had some changes in my life since the last time I've been on the podcast where I left being a principal full time and started doing consulting full time. And I just got to say, uh, it's fun. I like it. I love helping people achieve their potential. And so often what I'm finding is that people have no idea how great they can be when they're just putting their heads down, doing their work as a principal. And it's hard. It's hard to, to think of how much better you could be when, when you're just trying to make it through the day, especially these last two years with all the challenges that we faced. And I'm really proud of principals who are reaching out for help to become truly their best. Well, Jethro, you're right. And when I look back at our history as as friends and as leaders, you know, you were one of the inspiring podcasts that I listened to years ago and reached out to you. You had me as a guest on your program. And so much of the work that we've done together has been close enough that I can pick up the phone and call you and you can pick up the phone and call me. So I so appreciate your friendship, but I also am just so excited to watch you be able to take, gosh, more than 300. I have, where are you now in terms of numbers of, of podcasts that you've released over the years? Yeah. Um, officially in iTunes, it's over 500, but I did a bunch of just specials and things like that. So really my, my podcast episode number right now is 487. Oh my goodness. Well, I know that in that 487, that hundreds literally of those included leaders who you reached out to over time to say, what's working in your schools? First, you did that as a young leader, and then you did that as a leader who was becoming an influencer yourself. And now you're doing that as someone who is leading leaders through your masterminds, through your coaching, through your consulting. And I'm just going to say, when when I heard about your new book, and you gave me an opportunity to look over a copy. Jethro, I 
cannot wait for this thing to come out because just your introduction alone was so inspiring for me as I was reading it because, and I'm just going to give people a small taste here, but in Jethro's introduction to this book, he talks about the crazy current conditions that leaders are under with this pandemic and the political disruptions, the challenges that they faced before and during this pandemic. And then he just basically calls us all to the foundation of our leadership and what really works in schools, not just his opinion, but after hundreds of conversations with effective leaders across the nation and the world and in the work that you're doing now. And really, Jethro, it comes down to some pretty simple reminders that are so important, though. They're foundational. And so this is really where I want to start today, because in your book's intro, you lay out the challenges that principals face with test scores and student behavior and mental health issues, but you also surprise, provide a surprising solution for leaders. Can you talk about why self-care is where you start in this book? So one of the, the real challenges to our leadership practices is that we think leadership means that we are in charge and we control people, and there's nothing further from the truth. No matter where we are or what we're doing, we cannot control anybody. We can only control ourselves. And so if you are not taking care of yourself, nobody's going to believe that you're going to take care of them. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to burn out and become very frustrated. Um, You're going to become disaffected. You're going to believe that there is no way for the system or anything to change because you're banging your head against the wall and not making any impact. So I want to share a brief story about how self-care affected me because it really matters a lot. I was very stressed at one point in my career as a principal and I developed shingles on my neck. And I don't know if you've ever had shingles, but your skin looks like it's snake skin. It's scaly, it's red, it's inflamed, it's very itchy and very uncomfortable. And here's the thing. Well, I was not even that stressed. The stress there was not that bad, but because I wasn't taking care of myself appropriately, the stress impacted me in a much different way. And a couple of years later, I was in a much more stressful situation. And guess what I did not develop? Shingles. The reason why is because I had learned how to take better care of myself. And I'm certainly not perfect at this. Don't get me wrong. I'm still figuring out what I need to do every day to really take care of myself. But I was able to handle that situation with an appropriate level of concern, but not an overwhelm that would cause my body to react poorly, which would then make it impossible in that previous situation when I had those shingles. It made it impossible for me to make good decisions because I was so confused about what was going on. Later, I made very difficult decisions, did what I believe is the right thing, had incredible amount of stress, and was able to make it through it mostly unscathed. I'm so glad you started there, Jethro, and we're going to come back to some other parts of your book, the content that could be so helpful for leaders, but I'll just jump into the conversation too from experience that, you know, often, especially in the work that you and I do, people will ask, how do you manage really difficult times? And that's a that's such a common question that I, I, I even put together a breakout session once that I've shared many times on how to manage 
things when you feel like you're overwhelmed. And one of the very first things I talk about in that is to make sure that you're creating structures where you're taking care of yourself where you can, because you're so right. Um, I can remember specifically uh, while leading a high school, a very, very stressful time where I knew that I was taking on more responsibility than I could manage. It was actually the year I was transitioning between assistant and principal. And so my principal retired and I was doing both roles until we replaced my old position. And I was beginning to get that feeling I'd had like as a young teacher, just that, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. And you know what I did? I refocused and started getting up earlier to go jog in the mornings. I made sure that my nutrition was as good as it could be. I focused on creating a good to-do list, pulling a team together, asking them for feedback. I did those, I did those, I took care of, of, for lack of a better analogy, shoring up my resources, my supplies, my, my energy so that I could handle what was getting ready to hit. And, um, and over time, I've continued to just recognize that when you're stepping into really d- difficult situations or whatever your position is, um, you're going to run out of gas unless you're refilling. And, so, and, th- and that's not just physical. That's, that's emotional. It's, it's intellectually. It's relationally. All these areas that we need to be focusing on, reflecting on. And you and I would be the first to say that you never, you, you never reach perfection ever. So don't try. And you're constantly revisiting those things over and over again. But but for those, if you're not recognizing that, then you're going to hit a wall. And uh, and and a lot of leaders do hit walls, and sometimes they crumble. Um, and other times they hit walls and they recalibrate. And so I know that part of the reason, part of the heart of what you and I've been doing now for years with leaders, is trying to help us stay consistently engaged in these conversations so we don't hit walls. So with that in mind. Um, well, before I ask the next question, because I know sometimes you have thoughts or reflections on things I say, so let me give you an opportunity <laughs> to respond to that. Yeah, the, you're going to hit the wall at some point. Everybody does. It's it's natural. It's a part of being in the position that we're in. So the question is, what's it going to be like when you hit that wall? Are you going to, like I did, have your body take all the pain of that? Or are you going to, like I did later, have the systems that you've set up in your life take all the pain and, and punishment. That's what you need to get to. Make it so the systems take care of that pain and punishment, and then you can continue on. Your family doesn't get destroyed. Your health doesn't get destroyed. Your mental health doesn't get destroyed. You don't end up getting divorced and having people hate you because you made some difficult decisions. You can you can manage all of that much better. And in fact, during that later really stressful time, my marriage got even better. My relationship with my kids got even better, despite how challenging that time period was. That's such great feedback, Jethro. And there's so many rich, rich lessons of, in, in wisdom that you, you gain there. But let me ask you this question. You know, this isn't just your experience and my experience. You know, you've done hundreds of interviews with leaders and you've coached dozens, I've lost count of how many people you've coached through your masterminds and through your professional learning. But let's stay here for just a moment. Why is it, as a part of the systems and self-care that leaders need, why is it so important for leaders to understand that the success of their work and their schools is directly connected to collaboration with other leaders? Well, like I said before, you can't control other people. You can only work with them. You can only try to get them on board so that they're willing to do the hard things that need to happen. Um, And it's just not possible 
to do it all on your own. And one of the big things I focus on is delegating. Um, and <laughs> we've gotten delegation all wrong. We've always thought of delegation as delegating a task to someone. And we really need to change that view and think about delegating the person. So how are we collaborating and delegating with people in a way that helps them be as successful as possible? That's what we need to focus on. And if we do that, we can find success in that. If we, I'll, I'll tell a quick story because I think it illustrates it so beautifully. I hate it when people call and yell at the secretary. It's the worst. She didn't do anything wrong and she gets the brunt of so much frustration. So I had a wonderful secretary named Laura Thurnow. She was amazing. I said, nobody should ever yell at you. She said, I agree. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't like it. I don't like the conflict. I want everybody to be happy. And I don't like it when people yell at me. And so I said, okay, here's what I need you to do. I have a task that I want you to do. I need you to, to hang up the phone on people who yell at you. And she said, okay, I will hang up the phone on people who yell at me. I totally will do it. Guess what she never did? She never hung up on anybody. Why? Because I was thinking about the task. I was thinking, how do we show people that that's not okay and we're not going to tolerate that? And I told her to do this thing. And instead of her doing the thing, she just took it all in and would not hang up the phone and tried still to, to fix the problem. And I, I, I was really humbled by that because I thought I can hang up the phone on anybody. I don't have a problem. But I realized that she could not because she is not that kind of person who would hang up on someone. She wants to solve problems. So I rethought about it and I said, okay, Laura, your new task that I'm delegating is to transfer anybody who's yelling at you to me as fast as possible. So they, if they're fired up, you say, let me get the principal just a moment. That's really what they want anyway, I'm sure. And then I can have that conversation with them. So then when she transfers them to me, even if I'm not there in the building, she can transfer it to my cell phone. She did that every single time. And you know what I got to say to people when they called and were hot under the collar? Hey, my secretary just said you were pretty rude and disrespectful by yelling at her. That's not okay. I, I understand that you're upset and you want to talk about a problem, but we're not going to treat my secretary that way. You want to yell at me? I don't have a problem with that, but you're not going to yell at her. Can you agree to that? And they'd always say, yes, I, I just wanted, you know, some attention or I was really frustrated and I just needed to talk to you. And, and so every time that happened, she was able to do that, but it's because I understood that I was delegating to a person, not delegating a task to be accomplished. You have to recognize that people have their unique strengths, abilities, and you have to uh, make sure that you are adjusting to help them be in their strengths. Anytime they're not operating in their strengths, it's just a waste of time, money, energy, and effort. I, Jethro, I want to add some thoughts to that too, because um, one of the things that I think is wise about that instruction is knowing ahead of time which people with the right with the right skill sets are available to manage those situations. So at the secondary level, for instance, um, my secretary and I had similar conversations, but usually those conversations were built around who is the person who's best equipped to answer these kinds of questions when they come in. So she got a call, for instance, about athletics and activities. Someone's then she knew 
I need you to talk to this person because they're the ones who are going to have the solution for you. Or if it was an instructional concern they had about a specific teacher, she would always, I coached her to say, we had a script. Have you spoken directly to that instructor yet? Because I'm sure they would want to answer this question for you. Can I put you through to their voicemail or have them call you on their plan? So she would have a list of people to whom she could transfer those calls when people were coming in, because you're right. It should not be the responsibility of the person who doesn't control the situation to resolve the situation. And that's why I think with leaders too, it's so important for you to learn how to guide parents back to the person with whom they can resolve the situation. Sometimes that means referring them back to a teacher who they haven't even taken time to have a conversation with yet before. And then saying, and if you don't feel like this is resolved, why don't you invite me to the, to that conversation next? But that's, so there's so much wisdom in that delegating to people, not delegating tasks. Thank you, Jethro. That was, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that insight. You also talk a lot about the importance of school leaders who find these solutions by connecting with one another. So let's stay there for a moment too, because that's been the power of your, your secret weapon, as you call it, the mastermind. So talk about why that's such an important integral part of, of, of leadership development. So I I recently read the book, What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Really great book talking about trauma. And one of the poignant things from that book is that Dr. Perry talks about um, Aboriginal and Native ways of healing and growth and talks about how the healing is not in going to therapy. The healing is in connection. And so if we have connection, we can overcome almost anything. So traumatic events, um, being involved in wars and uh, genocide, all those things, the power of healing through those comes from connection. Now, here in Spokane, there is a group of people from uh, Central Africa, Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Burundi, and and a bunch of other countries there where there has been strife and turmoil for years. Many of these men and women are refugees. Many of them don't know their families, have never seen them. One man that I talked to recently, he he hasn't seen his wife for almost 10 years, and he has a 10-year-old son, and he found out recently that they live in Maryland, and he lives here in Spokane. And so because of the war and the strife that they've experienced, they are completely separated away from each other. And what they've been able to do is find this community here in Spokane of other refugees who have experienced similar things. And you would not believe the resilience of these people who have been through so much and how inspiring it is to hear their stories and what they experienced, things that honestly, Will, you and I could not even fathom experiencing um hiding under a bed when a a soldier is coming to kill everybody that is of your particular ethnic tribe i mean these things are just unreal and when we have that connection and that community and people with whom we can share and have support we can overcome whatever challenges we're facing and in in the mastermind for example That's where you get support. So many times in school districts, there is some sort of political struggle or uh, power vacuum or whatever that that makes it difficult for 
leaders to connect with their peers that are right there in the district. And what I do is I bring them into a place where they can be brave, where they can be their authentic selves, and where they can honestly say, I am really struggling with this particular situation. And the things that they say are inspiring. And we've had some some really deep discussions lately, especially around things like firing people, which is so difficult to do, and how to do that in a human-focused way that lets the person know you're not a bad person, but it's not going to work out here at our school, and you need to go find someplace else. Man, that's a hard thing to deal with. And then when you don't feel adequate as a principal yourself, as a leader, to be able to say, have I really done everything that I needed to, but we're coming up to the deadline of probation, and if I don't do something now, it's going to take six more months, and and it's going to be more difficult, but people are leaving because this person is so toxic. I mean, those are really challenging things for people to admit and to say, and yet it happens all the time, all over the country, multiple times, and you really have to have that connection to be able to know what the right thing to do is and to not feel like you're being crazy because you're making this choice. You know, Jethro, one of the things I appreciate about that perspective too is um, I've never quite been able to find the right analogy, but that's a really interesting comparison between, you know, refugees experiencing community where they find healing because they're with people who have had like experiences. And I've had such a hard time figuring out how to translate that to school leadership because I don't want to be overdramatic, but I also just want to be real that the level of stress, uh, crisis management difficulties that leaders see on a consistent basis, it can be pretty overwhelming. I mean, if you and I can think back to the decades that we were in schools before we are doing what we're doing now and you live several lifetimes, it feels like, of crisis through the eyes and experiences of the people who you're helping and managing, whether that's students or families or, or staff members or fellow administrators. Some of those experiences are pretty agonizing, especially when you're dealing with um, victimizations or deaths of, of community members or y- you name it. We can fill in the gap with so many fill in the gaps, but it's hard to express that experience beyond this community. I, I, it's really hard for me to express to someone outside of this occupation what that's like. Um, it's a whole lot different than my CEO buddy who goes to, to work and, and, and manages spreadsheets all day and has some conflicts within his work environment, but not what school leaders face. And so um, the closest I, I've ever, yeah, jump in, bro. Let me address that real quick because we really are dealing with life and death. Mm-hmm. If you ask any human being out there who went to school, who made an impact on you as one of your teachers, almost everybody has a story that, that they either love that person or they despise that person. And that impacts you for the rest of your life. And it takes a lot of work to overcome whatever influences they had on you if they were negative and if they were positive, it can even be difficult to overcome what that is, which is a good thing. You don't want to overcome someone's uh, ultimate belief in who you are as a person, right? But it's it's so powerful what we are doing on a day-to-day basis. And we really are impacting kids' lives for the rest of their lives. And so 
it does matter and it is deep and you're right other people cannot understand it i saw a, a poll on linkedin the other day that said should you what's your ideal situation for working work from home work from the office or work from home and both office and i was like teachers don't even get that option you need to be there with the kids no matter what and even if it's all online school you still need to be there in the zoom room with them or whatever the case may be didn't mean to interrupt you but thanks no 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 that's exactly the the direction that I was going as well, because it's hard to find an analogy to explain what that's like, unless you've been there. So connecting with people who have connecting with people whose like experiences resonate with your own gives you a place to feel safe. Um, and that's why I think your masterminds have been so powerful, but I also think it's why the work that you're doing now is continuing to help leaders grow because they're with others who are trying to do the same thing. And so in your book, you you design your book almost like a progressive growth pattern. You know, self-care is like, like the foundation. But walk us through, like, from that foundation, what are some of those other elements that need to be in place for leaders to continuously grow? And I know you cover all this in your book, and I'm, I want to point listeners at the end of our conversation to where they can find it. But let's just stay here for a little more time on your content, on what are some of the other areas that you have seen working for transformative principles? Yeah, this is a really vital question because the way that I describe it in the book is that it's like a domino, that a small domino can knock over a domino that's one and a half times bigger. And this is one of my favorite analogies because if you do the little things right, the bigger things take care of themselves. And so I equate um, self-care with being the small domino, the one that is the tiny little one and a half inch one that you can that you can use to knock down all the rest of the dominoes. Now, when somebody says, Jethro, I need to fix my culture, I always ask them, well, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And that's where they're like, uh, well, I said I need to fix my culture. Did you hear my question? <laughs> and it's, it's because you need to start with taking care of yourself. So that is a very individual, internal thing that only you can control. And then you need to get support for yourself and give support to others, which involves a few more people in what you're doing. Um, but it's still very much an internal thing that people need to feel that support. And I could go on a rant about what support is and isn't, but I won't right now. But it you, you've got to be supportive and get support for yourself. Then you go to a many perspective, which is a lot of people. And that's your vision. Your vision has to encompass how everybody's going to be part of your school. And I argue that every single school needs their own vision that is separate and distinct, yet supportive of the district vision. Otherwise, who are you? What does it matter? Why would anybody want to go to your school? If you are not attracting people to your school because of what you offer, then there's no reason for them to go to your school except that they happen to live in your boundaries. And I am here to say that school choice is coming everywhere in the United States. And no matter what you think you have in place in Washington, there are very few charter schools, but you know what? There are a lot of private schools because people want options and they want to be drawn to something that actually matters. So another thing that is more focused on the individual, like I mentioned is delegation. And as these dominoes are getting bigger, you can see how we start knocking them down um, based on the other things that we do. If you have a vision for what your school is, you also have an idea of who the right people are to, 
to do something. And then it goes to observations and observations are a lot of people think we do observations so that we can do our evaluation. And if that's what you're thinking, you're doing it wrong. I promise it is not about evaluation. It's about whether or not your vision is being implemented. Now, if you don't have a vision, then you can only do them for the purpose of an evaluation, which 97% of teachers are already successful at. And it is so difficult to evaluate somebody out of the profession, it's almost not even worth it. The next piece is communication. That's talking with a lot of people, a very external thing, and you need to have systems and processes in place to make that happen. Um, so we have internal, we have external, and then we have holistic, which are multifaceted around everybody. The relationships is the first one. You've got to focus on the individuals. Then we go to hiring, which is so important because if you have a vision and you're getting the right people on the bus in the right places and you're communicating what matters and you're building powerful relationships, then that hiring piece is almost going to take care of itself. You're going to attract the kind of people you want because they're going to see your vision and want to be a part of it. And all of those things all together, they all add up to what the culture is for your school. So if you want to change your culture, start taking care of yourself. That's the little domino. Culture is this big, huge one. That's the size of the Empire State Building. You can't knock it over without support. You can't knock it over without help. You've got to do these other things first, and then it will topple, and it will. you can have your culture. And by the time you do all these other things, your culture just is, and it's a place where people want to be. Jethro, you know I grew up on a farm, and so I always think of culture like a garden or a, like a like a bed or a field. And it's all of those other things that you do with nurturing the soil and planting the right seeds and taking care of watching the weather and weeding. And then you step back and you wait and you, as you nurture all of those conditions, then there's your produce that's created. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's like that when someone asks you, how can I create culture? And you're like, well, I'm just going to have to tell you, it's like asking, how do I make an apple? You don't get to make an apple. That's right. <laughs> you can, here's how you grow an apple. And it's going to take you a long time to nurture the right environment for that tree to grow so that the apple produces. And so thank you for that wisdom because, you know, principal managers, listeners, if you're thinking about this domino analogy that Jethro's just created, there's that self-care domino and then that support domino and that delegation domino, and that vision domino, and that observations and feedback, and that communication, and that relationships, and the way you hire, and then boom, there's culture. And so it all goes together. And it's not a magic formula either. It is a nurturing, long-term commitment and environment. And it doesn't mean that that can't, it doesn't mean you can't affect culture immediately. You can, you can affect it the moment you step into a room, but for long-term cultural change, it takes a lot of investment. So thank you, Jethro, for that feedback. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, I love the apple analogy. You don't get to grow an apple. You get to set it up to be grown. And mm -hmm. you can't tell how good your culture is right this second as you're starting. It takes time to develop it. And you can say, you know, the this ground is not a good place to plant an apple tree. And so we need to make the ground prepared for that apple tree. I, I love that analogy. There are so many good analogies with growing things. It's, it's awesome. That is a beautiful thing. And so when leaders think about 
you know, all of these foundations that they need to build communities, Jethro. I know that th- this, I believe this book, this newest book of yours is going to be such a treasure uh, for folks. So how can they, how can they uh, connect with your resource and talk about your book launch? Because that's going to be a lot of fun. I want listeners to know how they can be connected to your book launch and find your resources. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning, maybe it was before the recording. So you you might have to put that little comment in, but this is not a quantitative X plus Y equals Z kind of approach. This is very much a qualitative, here's what amazing principles are doing all over the country. And the reality is, is that the book is not done. Like there's so much more that needs to go on. So our book launch is actually going to involve an activity where we write another book based on the wisdom of the people who are there. So we're going to do a whole nother book answering questions about each of these nine chapters that that I illustrated for other people to have an additional resource beyond that. Now, I did this in a different in a different group with somebody else and it was an amazing cathartic wonderful experience. So, if you have never written a book with 200 of your closest yet unknown friends, this is going to be an awesome thing to do. So I would love anybody who's listening to this and thinks anything that I've said has any value, go to jethrojones.com slash how to be how the number two and B and join our book launch, which is going to be the week of March 15th through the 19th. I'm doing four different sessions, all virtual, all one hour to a T. We're not going to go over because I don't like doing that, but this is going to be an experience that is not only going to be celebrating the launch of this book, but also people contributing to another volume of knowledge about how to approach each of these issues. Wow, Jethro. Okay, jethrojones.com slash how to, the number, B-E. jethrojones.com slash how to, the number, B-E. If you want to participate in not just reading this new book that's coming out, but actually contributing thoughts to an ongoing work in response to this book. Jethro, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Thank you so much for sharing that opportunity for, for listeners to connect with your work and for Principal Matters listeners who are uh, listening to this now, I'm going to be releasing this recording um, before this comes out so that you guys have an opportunity to hear this in advance and participate with Jethro in this opportunity. Well, Jethro, as we wrap up this conversation, first of all, I just want to thank you for your friendship and for the resources and the inspiration that you provided for leaders and are providing for leaders. And um, as we wrap up, I know you always ask the question at the end of your podcast, what's one tip or idea that someone can walk away with on how they can be a transformative principle? So as we wrap up today, what's that one thought that you hope someone walks away with from today's conversation? Yeah, this is something that uh, that we didn't get to, but I would say you need to focus on individuals. Big data is great, but if 95% of your students are proficient or attending school or whatever the majority of them are doing, for 5% of them, they are 100% not achieving that. And when you think about it like that and you know that there is a kid in your school who is not successful at whatever you're trying to do, you can find a way to help them find success. And so I would say focus on the individual. Big data is great. Test scores, thanks. Good, good information. But 
if somebody's not successful, they are 100% not successful and they feel it and they need to know that they are capable and can be successful. And I believe it's on us as educators to make sure that that happens. Wow, Jethro, thank you for that reality check and that good reminder that at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's a, it the, it's about the people we serve, not the outcomes. Yeah, uh, It's about the people that we serve. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I know that you're listening to this conversation today because you care about the people that you serve. And I want to thank you for the opportunity that you've taken to listen and learn today. And Jethro, I want to thank you for the opportunity to reconnect with Principal Matters listeners. And to all of you, we wish you a fantastic week ahead. Thanks for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you soon. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.